0: Welcome to a Satanist Reads the Bible, exploring the Bible, Christianity, and other religions and their sacred texts through the lens of Satanism in order to reinvent religion for myself. This is the second episode, and what I'm aiming to do is put out two episodes a week, or approximately two episodes a week, until I'm caught up, until all of the essays are podcasts. uh, after which point I'll be putting up one essay, one essay and one podcast every week. So every week I will be putting up the that week's essay and podcast at the same time. And then as I get to it, I will be going through my backlog and trying to fill that out. So this week is going to be my the first episode that I ever published on my blog, uh, 6 days of creation and the sabbath. If you've listened to the first episode, if you haven't listened to the first episode, I recommend at least checking out the first few minutes of that so so that uh, you get a sense of what it is that I'm doing. And why I'm doing it, um, but it's going to be a similar format to that episode. After this introduction, I'm going to talk about uh, the different places you can read and support my work, so that if you do end up liking it, uh, then which which I certainly hope that you will, I you will have opportunities to support me and support my work and support what I do in in various different ways. Then I will I will read my essay, commenting on it as it comes up and then i'll talk a little bit about it extemporaneously this is my first and this is the, like i said this is the first essay i wrote and it deals with uh it deals with the creation narrative in genesis or rather the two creation narratives in genesis uh this is this one deals with the first of those two creation narratives which is uh the very beginning of the bible with the book of genesis and in writing this uh, this is the first thing that I wrote for this project so in a lot of ways I was still getting my feet wet and still finding my voice and still not doing a great job of explaining some things and I think that this is better in some respects than than the next few which I think got really obscure but um keep that in mind and fortunately this is cool now that I'm doing this I'll have the opportunity to sort of comment on it as I'm going through to explain anything that I feel might not be entirely clear but if you've listened to the first episode and you enjoyed that and then you listen to this one and you think oh this is kind of clunky well that's why so bear with me on that so that said okay let's talk about um if you like this, if you end up liking this, if you listen and and uh, you think it's helpful, you think it's informative. Um, if your if the format you're listening to it on allows you to rate it, uh, I'd appreciate a five star rating. Uh, if you if you like it enough that you want to support my work, you can go to my Patreon page. Uh, which is linked so you can go to my blog satanistreadsthebible.com and there's a link there to my patreon page And you can sign up to support me that way That's a huge help that puts money in my pocket that I can use to keep doing this and keep making it better I've also got a bunch of links in my essays to the books that I read and talk about and those are affiliate links So if you click through and buy them and the, and I, I don't recommend books that I don't think anyone should read These are all really uh, These are all really good texts uh, if you click through and you buy them once again money in my pocket and if you just tell people uh hey i found this cool podcast that's that's a huge help i appreciate that a lot um i think that covers all of the plugs yeah so let's get into it okay six days of creation and the sabbath earlier this year and this is actually referring to last year so earlier last year I purchased a copy of the Christian Bible as a part of a broader study of religions and their sacred texts. Unlike other Satanists, I do not consider the Bible as something wholly abhorrent, false, or misleading. To the contrary, I find it to be an interesting and compelling work of great literary merit, a useful window into history and into the beliefs of a substantial subsection of humanity, and even a great source of personal insight and inspiration. There are, of course, many translations available, and I selected the New Revised Standard Version, the Standard Translation for Academic Studies of the Bible. It's already well known that the more commonly cited translation, the King James Bible, is profoundly defective, and I'm not interested in exploring the text on the basis of someone else's incompetence. I want to explore and evaluate the work on its true merits and faults, and the New Revised Standard Version seems the best vehicle for that purpose. I'm going to pause right there, because that's something I ended up walking back a little bit Something I ended up walking back a little bit In, in later essays um, The King James Bible is not An especially accurate translation As far as reflecting the original Hebrew and Greek uh, It's But It's very poetic It's very Shakespearean It's very beautiful And if you like that sort of archaic language Then I think that, um, then, that There can be a lot of value In reading it as the King James Bible Given that one considers while reading it that there might that the translations might not be 100% on point, not that translations ever are. Uh, this is true of the new revised standard version. I've actually found some some problem some disagreements I have with the translation even in that version. but I can't read Hebrew or Greek working on Hebrew. I can't read Hebrew or Greek, so that's what we're stuck with. Okay, moving on. I begin with Genesis and the first account of the creation of the world. I've heard it explained by apologists who accept creationism uh, in an old earth format and who attempt to rationalize the disparity between the Bible and reality that we don't know what a day is for God, so the six days of creation would be a symbolic representation of the entire 13.7 billion years prior to the formation of the earth, and the time from that point to the creation of humankind. The more likely explanation is that this book was written by people who had no way of knowing that the earth was more than a few thousand years old and so described creation in terms of what they understood of the sacred. Why then give the book any consideration at all? Why attempt to learn anything of creation from those necessarily ignorant of it? The aim here is not to learn of the literal origins of the universe. We have other better methods for that but rather to understand how such a thing was understood in the context of the sacred by the ancient Hebrews. To read a passage and say, the ancient Hebrews believed this, but now we know that they were wrong, is, though technically correct, boring and dismissive, It is much more interesting to say, given that the ancient Hebrews believed this, what else follows? Dr. Grant Hardy, an insightful expert on matters of sacred texts and an apparently devout Mormon, described the Hebrew Bible as a sacred text in conversation with itself, even arguing with itself. That's from his Great Courses lecture, Sacred Texts of the World, which is phenomenal. This becomes immediately apparent in the reading, and I believe that this reading reflects a dialectic in God's creation, which will be a central theme of these writings. Contradictions and paradoxes abound, and while it would be trivial and even convenient to say that these indicate that the text is nonsensical and meaningless, it is more interesting to assume that there is intent and meaning in these contradictions, and then to see what follows. In the Critique of Pure Reason, Immanuel Kant argued that reason attempts to know causes of things but cannot, of of all things but cannot, and in attempting to do so, reason generates contradictions. If we interpret the Bible in this light, we can see the Bible in terms of an attempt to understand and convey that which is beyond language. The contradictions are not merely incidental, but rather essential to what the authors had intended to convey. We can also uncover contradictions between what the sacred texts say of God and Satan and what Christians, even biblical literalists, say of the same, so proving that they are often disingenuous or simply mistaken in their attempts to convince us of what they say is truth. Uh, The first chapter of the first book of the Bible and the first few verses of the next give one account of the creation of the world by God over six days. There are two differing accounts of creation in Genesis, the second immediately following the first. The New Revised Standard Version even places the second account under the heading, Another Account of Creation. The second contains the story of the creation of Adam and Eve. I'll examine this account in another essay, and and I did, and I will be turning to that in another podcast. Uh, And I'll be turning my attentions here toward the first creation narrative. So I quote from from the beginning of the Bible, uh, Genesis 1, verses 1 to 2. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. The first thing I notice is the paradoxical ex, paradoxical existential status of the earth in this sentence. When God created the, the heavens and the earth, the earth was. It is both created and uncreated. The text does not say in this translation that the heavens and the earth were the first creations of God. Actually, let me pause here. Um, this is something that actually I've seen in, in other creation narratives, and there's one in uh the Rick veda the, the there's a there's a hymn in the Rick veda called the which is a sacred text of the hindu religions which is commonly called the creation hymn which speaks of the world uh the world at the beginning of creation in very similar terms which is really interesting and i explore that in another essay uh what's that one called satanic thought in ancient religion i think it is so Uh, The text does not say in this translation that the heavens and the earth were the first creations of God. Nevertheless, we have things in reality, nominally other than God, that exist prior to the creation. What are these things? Void, darkness, wind, which is cited as originating from God, water, some boundary between water and not water, so there's the face, the face of the waters, Uh, I assume that not water is void, and the wind is then liminal to, mediating between both void and water, and the void is also the created, uncreated earth. And, of course, there's God himself. The question, whence came God, is an important and substantial one, probably best suited for another another essay and i haven't really gotten into that one yet uh but that's actually something i've been looking at is the cosmological argument for the creation of god which has kind of been dismissed for a long time but i think warrants another look but i'll be getting to that in somewhere else entirely still very much in the early stages The King James Version is markedly different here. Instead of a wind from God, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Wind from God seems abstract and poetic. For what reason does God cause a wind to blow across the face of the waters and void? The Hebrew word ruach means both wind and spirit, so both translations are sensible. In Kabbalah, the esoteric interpretation of Judaism, Ruach is one of the three elements of the soul, and in Christianity, Ruach, and specifically the form that appears here, uh, Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, is one of the names for the Holy Spirit and the third aspect of the triune God. Quoting, again, Genesis... I wrote it down as 1 through 5, and I think I might have... I think it's 3 through 5 probably so that might be an error but in any case and God said let there be light and there was light and God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day I'll be writing later about my interpretation of the creation of the light and its significance in relationship to Satan the accuser which which I do so I'll be getting to that that's that's in an, another couple of essays I think and will be in a future podcast. To summarize I see God and Satan as the thesis and antithesis of a Hegelian dialectic and this is this is where I kind of get a little obscure. I see God and Satan as the thesis and antithesis of a Hegelian dialectic. God, being the only extant entity, has no way of knowing what they are, for there is no context in which that knowledge can exist. So God must deconstruct themselves into contradictory elements, God and not God, which generate opposition and contradictions, which must then be integrated as self-understanding. These divisions iterate in a fractal-like manner, and this is the entirety and the purpose of creation. Satan is the first differentiation, the light of creation itself, and God is the darkness. So that's, pausing a little bit here, that's me getting a little bit poetic and also going off of uh, Hegelian phenomenology um, without really explaining it at all. And uh, I, I don't think I could launch into a full explanation of Hegel here. Uh, suffice to say, Hegel had this idea that the progress of history was these contradictions sort of butting against each other and synthesizing into new ideas, and as this progresses across the course of history, the ultimate goal of that is the sort of self-realization, the self-awakening of God. So um, so Hegel himself was not the person who posited the the thesis, antithesis, synthesis um, Model, I think that was Fichte, but um, but but the point is is that there are sort of contradictory ideas. So so we have we have God existing alone in creation and having no means of self knowledge because and this is another aspect of Hegelian philosophy. uh, We can't know ourselves in a vacuum. We need to know ourselves uh, via how other people. See us. Once again, that's something that really deserves a lot more time than I'm not going to get into here, but hopefully that a little explains what I was just talking about there, that we've got um, the idea that God created Satan as the first light in order to create something that was not God, by which God could then measure themselves. Also notice, and this is something I've been using throughout my essays, uh, whenever I speak of God, third person singular, uh, third, third person plural as singular, uh, the standard usage for a non-gendered person. Uh, and I'll be getting into why I do that a little bit uh, later on in this essay. So continuing to quote from the source, this is verses six through nine, and God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the water in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters so God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome and it was so God called the dome sky and there was evening and there was morning the second day so now we begin to get a sense of what the Bible describes as the topology of the world from here there are there are some upgrades to the dome lights to separate the day from the night, which is verse 14, but the rest concerns its eventual contents, swarms of living creatures, from verse 20, and whatnot. I have more to read, or had more to read at the time I wrote this, but I'm not aware of any further changes to the general topography elsewhere in the text. Indeed, I've never found any. So we have a body of water, and submerged in that body of water a great dome which separates the waters and creates an open space which is then to be occupied by dry land, vegetation, living creatures, and people. But this is not the topology asserted by the creationists, who, whether they assert a flat earth or a spherical one, describe it as floating in empty space as we now know the actual world to be. Many of the verses repeat some variation of, and God saw that it was good, so God is evaluating his work. And for what reason? We have been told that God is perfect. Would a perfect God not already know the merit of their creation? No, God is uncertain, exploring and experimenting, though at no point uh, do they reject anything that they create. Well, not immediately, anyway. There is that matter of the flood to come, which which I end up uh, writing about in a separate piece. Then comes verse 26, then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. So here we are made in the likeness of God. And what does that mean exactly? That we physically resemble them, that we have minds like theirs. If we are like God, then God is like us, but in what ways? It seems that nothing is said on the matter. Can I then assume that it is meant that we are like God in respect of what little has already been said of them? would that what would that imply it is often said that god is perfect omniscient omnipotent omnipresent and yet we are none of these things returning to the text verses 26 through 28 and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on upon the earth So, God created humankind in his image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth." And I'm quoting from the text, so I'm I'm doing the original pronoun usage there. Given the consequences, is it possible that this whole dominion thing was a grievous mistake? It is clear that God does indeed become displeased with their creation at times. There is, indeed, there is again that whole flood thing to consider. Uh, this also differs markedly from the subsequent account of creation. It appears that God is here creating not just one human, but a multitude of them, male and female only, but both in the image of God. Whence comes the Bible's assertion that God is male? God, who in the Bible is either singular or triune but not binary, and for whom both male and female are a likeness, is male? If it is true that God is not dual and that both male and female are in their likeness, then so must be the entire spectra between beyond that binary. Then we are to understand male and female not as a binary but as a polarity and the specific mention of the creation of only male and female as a limitation of the author's understanding and language rather than a reflection of the truth. God then evaluates the sum total of their creation and sees that it is indeed very good, and then on the seventh day rests. But what need has an omnipotent God to rest? Alright, so there you have it. Six days of creation and the Sabbath. One of the things that really fascinated me in doing the research for this piece, and in this case, the research preceded this project entirely. I just, I I had wanted to do some more reading of sacred texts. I purchased the Bible. I started doing some reading. I started doing some research, and that turned into this blog. And... I landed here on one of the central ideas of my work, and something that I've been coming back to the entire time I've been doing this, which is that um, what what is said of the Bible in terms of its contents, and by, by for example, biblical literists, literalists, and what is actually in the Bible are... Two different things, sometimes two very different things. Like we have this, uh, we have this topology. Creationists, biblically l- biblically literal creationists, are arguing for a young Earth model of the world that they say is based on the Bible, but it, it is to some degree. Like, if we follow the biblical cosmology, then, yeah, we're going to end up with with a much younger Earth than we suspect is actually the case. But they don't include the the topology of the world that is described in the Genesis narrative. We have something very different. We've got this dome that's separating the waters from the waters, so it's a flat Earth. And uh, flat Earth is actually the subject of the one I'm going to be doing, uh, the one that's going to be coming up this Friday, both in essay and podcast format, or at least the essay is going to be coming up Friday. I might, it might take me until Saturday to get the podcast up, but point is they'll be going up more or less together. So... This is something and this is something I come across again and again in reading the Bible is that oh, biblical literalists say that their their beliefs are based on this and either that's not in the Bible or there's something different that contradicts that that is in the Bible and it's not just the Bible either it's other sacred texts as well. Uh, the Quran is very much subject to this. Um, the Quran seems to be, portraying a very different message message than what than I'm hearing from a lot of modern Islam. And this is something I explore in another podcast as well, or another, another essay. It'll be a podcast eventually. Uh, what is that one called? A Satanist Reads the Quran, which I got a lot of great support on from the Muslim community, which I was just overjoyed with. That was really wonderful to see. Um, so this is something I've come back to repeatedly, and this has formed one of my core ideas and one of the core messages that I'm trying to uh, portray in my work is that um let's I, I'm arguing for a non-realist religion. I think religion should in general be non-realist. What do I mean by that? Okay, so realist religion is, When you say that a religion's claims about the real world are exactly that—they are claims, they're ontological claims, claims about what actually exists, the way things actually are. Um, So, so God, the Christian, the traditional conception of God, the triune God, uh, triomni, omnipotent, uh, omnipresent, omniscient. Um, actually exists, that would be a realist religious claim. Jesus Christ was a person who lived, who was the Son of God, who was crucified, whose crucifixion um, rectified the original sin that humanity possessed and allowed justification with God, so on and so forth. That is a a realist claim about religion. Non-realism could basically looks at it any other way than that, non-realist religion looks at that. For example, this would just be one way of looking at religion non-realistically uh, as being metaphorical. So, um, maybe Jesus existed. Maybe there was. Maybe there was no historical Jesus. Uh, I think that there was, but that's that's another subject matter. But regardless of what the historical Jesus may have actually done, Jesus as a symbol for Uh, Jesus as a symbol of redemption, regardless, looking at it in a symbolic way in which the historicity doesn't even really matter, that would be a non-realist view of religion. So I think that we at least have to take some religious ideas on a non-realist basis, especially biblical ideas. Like I said, the Bible is a fascinating, wonderful book full of amazing stories uh, it's a really interesting window into our anthropology um, it's it's got it's beautifully poetic it contains a lot of great wisdom obviously a lot of garbage as well but you know this is the Bible is a lot of things it is not just one thing we have to look at it in its plurality. Um, but if you look at it as soon as you look at it as being a realist literal text then, then you're not operating in the same reality as the rest of us, and that's leading to some problems in the world. So I think that these uh, these contradictions, well, one, it's evidence that people aren't actually reading the text, and that, as I found later, people have uh, contradictory beliefs about their beliefs. People believe things about their own beliefs that are not entirely true. For example, people believe that their beliefs are based on a literal interpretation of the bible but they don't believe in the specific things that the bible says so this is this is a problem but i'm going to wrap it up there uh, thank you so much um, thank you so much uh, there's going to be more coming up this week uh with my uh with my essay which is going to be called belief and identity belief and identity is the topic for this week so that so will be up on friday podcast soon after uh and then more backlog podcasts i believe the next one in my queue for getting through the backlog is going to be ah okay what i mean when i say that i am a satanist all right thank you so much for listening Ave a